This is Mystical Text with Abel Kazilski. Shalom and welcome to Chai FM where we are sitting and learning Torah and yes it's very good to be inside because I just hopped into my car to come into the studio and wow it's cold out there and I believe it's going to get even colder so if you are running around put on a jacket um, and otherwise spend some time with me let the words of Torah warm your heart warm your soul and uh we're going to spend the next hour together going through certain verses in the Parsha of Noah. We've been doing the story of Noah for quite a while now. Um, today we are effectively saying goodbye to Noah because Noah is going to be passing on um, and his era is finishing, though we have not yet as yet finished the Parsha of Noah which hopefully we will do next week. Today we are going to be looking at the origin of world the world's population you know it's actually quite a fascinating idea that today i believe we're over i think it is 7 billion people um we really have conquered every corner of the world and um it would be quite fascinating if we would be able to Check our roots out and, and derive, find out where we actually come from. Well, the Torah is pretty specific as to, um, how this entire process, um, happened. I don't believe that we have enough information for every nation of the world to go back and say, this particular person is my ancestor, but it's quite a fascinating study insofar as Noah came out of the ark with three sons together with their four wives, Noah's wife and Noah's three sons' wives. And from eight couples, they managed to repopulate the world. And today, each and every single one of us, Jew and Gentile alike, are a descendant from one of the children, grandchildren of Noah. And the Torah takes a tremendous amount of time just actually describing how these nations came about. Now, what's quite fascinating is that we speak about from a Torah viewpoint that there are 70 nations of the world. That while maybe today we would look and try work it out through nationalities, countries, peoples, I'm not exactly sure how things are dissected today from a civilization point of view, but the Torah maintains that there were primarily 70 nations um, in the world, and it is from these 70 nations that we know the world as we know it today. The 70 nations do not include the Jewish people. We are outside that count. And as we go through the verses, you will actually see how they were divided up. I'm not going to go in um, line, line by line and go through absolutely every single person. Firstly, um, their names are pretty difficult to pronounce. They had quite uh, exotic names. Um, you will notice that trend, though, that nobody named after their grandfather or their great-grandfather, as we have a custom today. And we are told the reason for that was because um, they lived long lives. And so they didn't have this a cycle that we see today that generally a, a grandchild or for sure a, grand, a great-grandchild, when they're born, they did, do, they did not or do not know their grandfather, grandmother, etc. And so in order to perpetuate the, memory, the memories of, of lost ones, we name our children after deceased um, individuals. Here we had 
um, the nation's still living for a pretty long time. And um, they came up with really, really exotic lines. So we're going to um, start in chapter 9, where we left off last week, verse 28, um, go through some of the stuff. And then at the end of this show, I'd like to say, share some um, ideas about um, the 70 nations today and where, where we're at and, you know, just have a discussion um, as we do once in a while on the radio regarding the end of days, the war of Gog and Magog, and where we find ourselves today. But let's look into the verses, chapter 9, verse 28 reads, After the flood, Noach lived another 350 years. And, of course, as I mentioned earlier, he was worthy of seeing many of his descendants, his children, his grandchildren. They all had large families, and he actually saw um, he had the merit to see the repopulation of the, of the world. Now, we're told that there were five characters in the Torah that managed to see new world orders or see things turned completely upside down. Noah was the first of the five people who saw a totally new world order. Obviously, what he had left behind pre the flood was very, very different to what um, he saw now post the flood era. So he was the first one. Um, the other, other um, individuals that saw new world orders, what one was, um, Yosef, Joseph, um, we know that Joseph was a slave for 22 years, and um, in a matter of a day, he was taken out of prison, and he became the viceroy to Pharaoh, and then where in one moment he was really at the bottom of the rung, hanging out on death row with a whole lot of, of other um People in a prison, he suddenly got turned around and the whole world was directed by his word and nothing could be done without his order. So in one moment, he actually saw a complete new scenario um, happen before his eyes. Moses um, also went through that. We know that he suffered very much in Egypt and we know that at one point in time he had to leave Egypt because Pharaoh wanted to kill him and Pharaoh having heard that he had in fact killed an Egyptian a taskmaster that he had found in, 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 in a field days earlier who, uh, trying to kill a Jew. But in the end, <coughs> what do we see? That Moses has incredible power, he comes back with incredible power he's able to wreak vengeance on uh, Pharaoh on, on Pharaoh and on all his armies and he manages to retain his new status for 40 years during which basically we could say that he was the king of Israel and so we saw that flip in time. The fourth person that the Torah says saw a new world order was a call, of course Eov. It says Eov suffered tremendously any Torahs, any problems, any struggles, challenges, obstacles that had to be had. Eov had them, but all turned out well um, at the end for his life. And the fifth person, uh, we're told, is Mordechai. Mordechai saw his people on the brink of destruction. We're talking about the story of Purim here. Um, that took place in olden day Persia, but they were saved by God in the last minute. 
Um, obviously, we know all the details in the book of Esther, but there was a complete flip in society um, for these five people. And dare I say, dare I say that I do believe that we are sitting now at a precipice that we are going to be seeing also a flipping of world order. We are going to be the ones to greet um, the messianic um, the, the, the Messiah, the Messianic Redemption And um, we in our lifetimes are going to say We lived like this one way And um, now we are going to be living in a completely different way So uh, hang on to your chairs, your steering wheels Wherever you find yourself And we'll pick up uh, of, with this idea after the break This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. Welcome back, and um, we're now on verse 29 of chapter 9, last verse of um, chapter 9. Vayehi kol yemei noach tisha me'ot shana v'chamishim shana v'yamot. All the days of Noach, Noach lived for 950 years, and then he died. So Noach died in the year um, BCE 2006, after creation, so if we wanted to do the BCE, so it's 2006 in the Jewish calendar, it's 1755 BCE, before the Common Era. And interestingly, as I told you before the break, um, everybody lived tremendously long lives. Avraham, who is ten generations later after Noah, um, Avraham knew Noah. In fact, we are told that Avraham was 58 years old when Noah died. Just as a sideline, if you want to remember that piece of information, the numerical value of Noah, Nun, is 50, Chet is 8, 58. That is how old Avraham was when grandfather, great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather Noah passed away. So we have really in the genealogy of the world, we have 10 generations from um, Bereshit to Noah and then another 10 generations from Noah to Abraham. But now in chapter 10, um, and this is where we are going to ski, uh, like skim through things a little bit more quickly, we have all the generations of how the world was populated with 70 nations. Um, so if you look in chapter 10, it says, Ve'ele toldot b'nei Noach, these are <clears throat> the generations of the sons of Noach, Shem, Ham, Yafet. These were the three sons. We know them well. We have learned a lot about them. Um, they gave birth to children after, after um, the flood. And so we start now um, first with the children of Yafet. Yafet, in fact, even though we call them Shem, Ham, and Yafet, um, in one foul sweep, we've spoken about why the, the chronology is wrong. Uh, you can go back into my podcasts. Yafet is the oldest, and the Torah begins with the sons of Yafet. So the sons of Yafet were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Yavan, Tuval, Meshech, and Tiras. Those were the sons of Gome of, of, of Yafet. So Yafet basically had seven sons. 
And then the Torah continues and gives the, the, the lineage of two of the sons of Yafet, namely Gomer and Yavan. Gomer gave birth to Ashkenaz, Rifat, and Tugamah, and Yavan had um, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, um, Kittim, and Dodanim. So here we have um, the lineages of Yafet. Yafet um, basically represents the Western world, the Christian world as we know it today. Uh, we are told that, for example, Yavan, which was one of the sons of Yafet, Yavan um, in modern Hebrew is known as Greece. They, he actually gave birth to the entire Greek empire. And what is also um, of note is that from Yafet comes Magog, and um, we're going to pick up a little bit later on that because no, we know that at the end of times we're looking at a war of Gog Magog. And so the nation of Magog, one of Yafet's sons, um, is very relevant today. And we will be um, seeing them on the stage of the world now as we are getting ready to greet Mashiach. Also, very interestingly, from Gomer, he gives birth to uh, a son called Ashkenaz, and this is not, uh, you know, without being it in divine providence. Ashkenaz is really the name given to the Jews found in um, Eastern Europe, and this is really where uh, Yafet and his uh, nations, his his descendants, they moved on into Europe. Um, and that is where um, we obviously still find them today. So this is the this is the generations of Yafet, seven children, and from there we actually find out about another seven um, seven grandchildren. Now each of the sons of Yafet produced a single kingdom, and um, we we know, we are actually told, very interestingly, that one of Yafet's youngest sons, Tiras, he, beca- he began, and this is just a piece of um, nice information, he began the custom of wearing finger rings of gold and of silver. <clears throat> so those are the verses 1 to 5 discussing the sons of Yafet. We then go into verses 6 to 8 and discuss the second son, which is Cham. As we know from our previous discussions, Cham uh, was not the greatest son. He, he, he sinned in, the, in the, the ark by having relations with his wife. And Cham also comes again, um, and um, <clears throat> we see him causing trouble, as we learned last week, with Noach, where Noach was found in an inebriated state, and Cham goes and castrates his father. Cham is the father of Canaan, but he is also the father of four, three other children. Um, and so we are told in verse 6, Ubenei Cham, and the sons of Cham are Cush, Umitzrayim, Ufut, Ukanan. So he had four sons, Kush, Mitzrayim, Put, and Canaan. And um, from there, we're actually told about um, how Kush 
had many, many kids and how Mitzrayim had kids and had how, how Canaan had kids. Only put, um, we're told, uh, we're not told about his descendants. Now, the, while the Torah then goes and says the sons of Cush were Seva and Chavila and Sapta and Rama and Sabet, Sapteka and the sons of Rama were Shiva and Dedan, etc., etc., what is of interest over here was that Cush, the first son of Ham, okay, fathered Nimrod. Now, this you can find in verse 8 of chapter 10, the Chush Yalad et Nimrod. Now, Nimrod is a central character to the, the, the book of Genesis. We are going to be meeting up with him very, very shortly. Um, we are told that Nimrod, who hechal lichyot gibor ba'aretz, he began to be very powerful on earth. Now, for anybody who knows a little bit about Jewish history, this chappy Nimrod was a very, very wicked person. He had many evil followers who rebelled against God. And next week, we're going to be discussing the Tower of Babel. It was actually his idea to build the Tower of Babel during um, the, the, the generation, which we're going, we're going to learn. And so we can see from the negative behavior of Ham, um, who gave birth to Canaan, where, where, where we see negativity. Also, we have Cush, and we actually have Mitzrayim, Egypt as well. Now, the Torah takes a bit of a deviance and discusses Nimrod in particular. Um, this is verse 9 of chapter 10. Hu haya gibur tsayid. He was a mighty trapper, lifnei Hashem, before God. Al ken emar, and therefore they said... Nimrod Hashem. Like Nimrod, one could be a mighty trapper before God. So uh, the Midrash and a whole lot of commentators ask, what is the story with this Nimrod? So we're told that he, first of all, he had the ability to trap animals in an incredible way. Now this was not on his own doing. What had actually happened was... Um, Nimrod inherited a cloak that actually had a long story to it. In the portion of Bereshit, um, and we mentioned this many, many um, uh, sessions ago, God gave Adam, God gave Adam a fine garment called a cloak of skin. You can look it up in chapter 3 of Genesis. In fact, it's a, I think it's a verse 21. Now, <clears throat> this cloak... Um, when Adam wore it, made the animals around him subservient. That is why we learn that Adam, you know, sat and gave a name to each and every single animal and the entire animal kingdom was subservient to Adam. When Adam died, this cloak went to one of his sons called, um, Enoch, uh, Hanoch, who then passed it on to Metushelach. Metushelach died, gave it to Noach, and Noach took that cloak with him into the ark. But without knowing, knowing about it, um, Ham stole this cloak and he gave it to Cush, who was his firstborn. And when Nimrod was born, being the son of Cush, Cush gave him this cloak as a gift and he wore it for some 20 years, it gave him a tremendous amount of courage because he could walk into literally into a den of lions and he would have um, 
subservience. And not only did it give him an upper hand over the animal kingdom, it allowed him to be victorious in many, many battles. Now, we are, we are told that this cloak was covered with the most wonderful forms, and Nimrod would wear it when he went out into the hills. And because it had special powers, the animals would see it, they would fear Nimrod, and when people would see the animals scared of Nimrod, um, they would think it was because Nimrod had a tremendous amount of strength, and they got nervous, and so they crowned him king. In fact, we're told that 40 years after he had the cloak, a war broke out between Nimrod's brothers and the sons of Japheth, and Nimrod um, assembled the descendants of Cush, because he came from there. There were 460 men, <clears throat> excuse me, and another 80 soldiers, 80 mercenaries, and these 540 warriors were enough to defeat all the descendants of Japheth because Nimrod had taught them tremendous aggressiveness. Now, Nimrod was, wasn't only an expert when it came to um, being an expert trapper because of this cloak, but he also became an, an expert in trapping criminals into confessing. We're told that if a person robbed or killed and then denied it, Nimrod would, was clever enough to trick him into confessing, um, and he would trip him. He would, he would ask him a question here and a question there and this way and that way, and he would eventually trip the guy, and the guy would land up uh, confessing. We're told that he was such a bad bloke that um, the saying in those days was that this per- you, you want to know what a wicked person is, you know, as, as sweet as, as wicked as, well, as wicked as Nimrod. So people would always say that of a, th- a third person because if they wanted to tell you how bad he is, they'd say he's just as bad as Nimrod. So he did not have a very, very um, good name. So the Torah picks up <clears throat> on this lineage in particular. Why? Because we are going to come to the story of Nimrod. Nimrod is the most powerful king. And believe it or not, Nimrod um, has a a guy who works from him who's his second in command, and his second in command's name is none other than Terach. Terach was the father of Avraham. So um, now you'll be able to understand much, much more when we come to the story why the defiance of Avraham was so unbelievable and why Nimrod tried to throw him into a fire because everything that Avraham was teaching in terms of the belief of God and that there is uh, that God is the supernal power, not man, was completely and utterly against this paradigm, this this attitude that um, that 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 Nimrod had actually that Nimrod had actually created. So um, we'll just park that in abeyance, but you can see over here that the Torah speaks about uh, Nimrod quite substantially. In fact, verses 10 to 12 continue it and talk about his kingdoms. His first kingdom, Nimrod, was Babel, was Babylon, and then he had a kingdom called um, Erech and Akkad and Kalne in the land of Shinar. And then from there he went out um, to Ashur, and it says, Ve'yiven et Ninveh. Ninveh is the famous place 
much later on in Tanakh, where Jonah, Yonah, the prophet, um, is told, go to Nineveh and go and uh, prophesy that they're going to be destroyed because they are doing a lot of evil, and he decides to abrogate his responsibility, and he gets swallowed up by the whale, as everybody knows, and three days later, after he lives in the belly of the whale, he is spewed out again onto shore, and he makes his way to Nineveh, and he manages to get the people to do tshuva. Well, Nineveh was one of the places that Nimrod, the son of Cush, the grandfather being Ham, he built that. He also built a place called Rechavot, Ir, Kalach, Rezin, which was found between Nineveh and Kalach. And the Torah fill, finishes up by saying, He ha'ir hagadola, that there was in fact, uh, it was a great city. He was, here yeah, this is referring to, um, Nineveh. It was so big, it said it would take you three days to travel from one end of the city to the other. Then in verses 13 and 14, um, the Torah then takes the other son of Ham, which is Mitzrayim, okay? Mitzrayim then fathers Ludim, Anamim, Lachabim, and Fuchtim, and um, the Partusim, and the Kasluchim also come from that. These are all the uh, Egyptian nations and also following from the Egyptians' nations, one line of lineage actually gives birth to the Plishtim, um, the Philistines. So these guys, um, Egypt and Nimrod and, um, and Canaan, they were very, very corrupt chappies. They really, really didn't contribute um, much to society other than blood, guts, gore, war, um, you named it, they really, really didn't um, like feature as giving um, civilization to the world. Rather, they managed to keep the, the world in a state of, uh, of, of war. Uh, verses 15 to 20 then take Canaan, which was the, the grandson that tittletailed to Ham about um, Noah's impropriety. And Canaan gives birth to all the nations that we know in the land of Israel that we learned in this last week's Parsha that the, the um, spies came back with a bad report and said there's just too many nations and too many kings to conquer. He gives birth to the Yavusi and the Emori and the Gergashi and the Chivi and the Arki and the Sini and um, they are enumerated um, at length um, how they actually eventually get scattered and they are found in, they go to Wotstom and Gomorrah, Adma and Sivayan, etc., etc. Um, each of them had families, they had their own languages, and they were divided by their lands and their nations. So the only um, child that we do not know anything of is Put, Put married with um, the all the other sons, Kush, Mitzrayim, and Canaan, the other three sons of Ham, intermarry with the cousins. They don't set up um, separate nations. Put was the only one that kept a single nation, um, and that's what we are told. This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. Well, I don't know if you've actually worked out, if, if you're out there and you are a Gentile, where you've actually come from. Maybe you do have some insight. Finally, we're after the 70 nations, which if you actually add them all up, 
you'll see that it will come to 70 with one more to be added. And that is the son of Shame. Shame um, also had sons. He had five sons, Elam, Ashur, Arpachshad, Lud, and Aram. And very interestingly, only one line of of one son of Shame actually becomes the Jewish people. So from the son called Achpash, ah, oy, see, my teeth are falling out. Arpachshad, he gave birth to Shalach, who gave birth to Aver. Aver had two children, Peleg and Yaktan, but Eber through Peleg, through Reu, Sarug, Nachor, Terach had Avraham. So what you see over here is that even from shame, shame helped um, populate the 70 nations of this world. And it was only from one grandson who, whose great grandson um, had two children, one child, then finished up the lineage of um, the Jewish people. And one of the interesting things is that initially we weren't known as Yehudim, as Jews, but as Ivrim, as Hebrews. And this comes from Ever, who was the great, 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 great grandfather, the great, great grandson of Shame. That's why we are called um, the Ivrim, because we are actually descended from Aver. Aver also very interestingly is the, the, the great great grandson that makes up, that settles and, 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 um, uh, causes a yeshiva to, to, to flourish. It's called Yeshivat Shemva Aver. This is where, um, we know that Yaakov went and spent, um, his years before he went down to to, to Rivka, he learned there. We know that earlier, uh, um, his mother, sorry, not with Rivka, to with Rachel, Rivka went and seeked counsel by Shame and Ava when she was carrying um, the twins, Yaakov and Esav. And so Shame and Ava taught a tremendous amount of Torah. Um, and they were very, very, very righteous people. Yaktan, the other, um, the other son, of Aver, Aver had Peleg and Yaktan. Peleg is the one that gives birth to the Jewish people. Yaktan, very interestingly, had 13 sons, okay, and we are told that the reason why he had 13 sons was because he was Yaktan. The name is telling us that he was small. He actually displayed a tremendous amount of humility, and he was a, um, awarded many, many um, children. So, if we actually had to add up the 70 nations, um, how did the 70 nations come about? Well, 15 are from Yafet and his sons, 32 came from Ham and his sons, and 27 came from Shem and his sons, right? Um, if you add up 15 and 32 and 27, you're going to come to the number 74, and we are told that we have to take away the direct lineage of the Jewish people being Shem, Arpachshad, Shalach, Ever. They were righteous and they were not included. And therefore we can conclude then that um, there were 70 nations that made up um, the world. And as I said in the beginning, this is when we... Uh, 
This is, this is where we get the populations of the world today. There are still 70 nations. And now that we actually understand how the world populated itself and how civilization came about, I think it's important just to spend a little bit of time um, just reviewing where we are in terms of the populations of this world, what is happening with the descendants of the sons of Noah, what is going to happen with everybody at the end of days. And quite honestly, right now, we are looking at phenomenal, phenomenal times. And as I mentioned earlier, I believe that as a generation, we are going to be seeing another flip, a flip of a, of a world order where we are going to leave behind um, that which we we know and we are going to welcome in a new world order. Just to, to, to go through some of the stuff that is, that is happening today. And it really is stuff that is, it's not esoteric. It's not, um, so hidden that nobody can see it. Um, it's just that you, you just need to be aware when you're watching all the news channels that are coming in that we are poised now at a point where we're literally at a tipping point. We're told that before Mashiach comes, there will be a war of Gog and Magog. This war is not a war of the Jewish people. It is a war um, between nations um, that will have a spillover and have an effect on the Jewish people. It might ultimately arrive at the doorstep of the land of Israel, um, but it will not involve the Jewish people. It's the final war where the, the, the Gentile world is looking to see who is going to be, um, who's going to be in charge, who's on top of where it's, a, it's, it's a war, <clears throat> not only on a physical sense, but it's a war of ideologies. It's a war of civilizations and Magog is going to be one of those nations. Many, many commentators point to the fact that Magog, um, is um, has something to do with the Russians and that uh, that area. And what we are seeing right now is we are seeing how the world is distilling um, its 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 way into two two ideologies. Really, we have on the one side the axis the axis of um, people who are siding with the Western world in particular, um, we have the Americans, uh, I think, um, until now, unless uh, things change with elections, the English, the Australians, they are the people who are against, um, um, against, uh, war, against nuclear proliferation, and, uh, we are seeing that even some of the Arab countries like Saudi Arabia, we can see now from the Bahrain conference, um, there is a siding now with a uh, an ideology that is coming out and saying we don't want war, we don't want um, to have anything negative, we want people to live with dignity, with respect, each person to have the ability to self-actualize and to bring this world to a place of peace and prosperity for all mankind. On the other side of the fence, we, we, are, we are hearing um, drums of war. We're hearing Iran particularly be, being the head of the, this, type, the, this faction that is, um, you know, sending out 
terrorist groups like Hezbollah, um, Hamas, funding terror, funding, you know, and, and, and shouting and screaming about the fact that they're, they're, they're ready to destroy all the infidels that are out there. And we are seeing certain nations that are siding with them. And slowly but surely this distillation is happening where we are going to see two distinct uh, forces coming to, at loggerheads, one to another. We're just going to go for a little bit of a break. We're going to come back, and I'm going to elucidate just a little bit more on this idea. This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. So just to wrap up, um, as we left just before the break, um, I was saying that <clears throat> we're so slowly seeing a distillation of um, of sides, which side um, the various nations of the world, the 70 nations of the world are taking. Um, and if you're reading between the lines and seeing what is happening, there is a tremendous buildup in the Middle East, particularly in the Straits of Hormuz, um, which... Uh, you know, controls the, the flow of oil, but controls a lot more than that. And there is a lot of, uh, warmongering that is going on. People are, you know, are, are, are banging their war drums. And, um, I believe that, that very, very soon and, uh, there, there are, there are many others out there that, that are holding on the same thing that we're actually going to see, um, this war in whichever way it's going to, 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 um, take place happen uh, because we have to come to a point where there is a break between an old world order and a new world order. But having said that, that is just kind of like a very, very, um, if I could even say naive analysis um, or simple, not naive, but simple analysis of what is happening on the political um, spectrum. We are seeing many, many uh Governments falling, elections being called. In Israel itself, there is um, the inability for the Israeli government to form a coalition. Uh, we are told that the Babasali said 40 years ago, the Babasali being a very great Kabbalist, that when will we know that we're in the days of Mashiach when Israel itself would not, will not be able to form a coalition? And, uh, there are opinions out there that are saying that even though we're going for second round of elections, that too is going to fail and going to be part of the much bigger process. But on the positive side, and I think it's important always to look at the positive because you can listen to all this warmongering and actually just like feel completely, um, exhausted and helpless um, in a situation that you cannot control. Um, we've got to look at the world the way it is paused in order to greet this new world order. And if we look at technology and the humongous strides that technology has, t has taken in the last 20 years, probably since 1990 with the advent of the Internet, uh, we see that we have the, have the ability now to communicate seamlessly with another person in another place. We transcend time. We transcend space. Um, all of the all of the technological uh, innovations that have happened are there in order to be the bed, the bedrock on which the world will be one world united under one God, and that that communication can be seamless. We're looking also at the world of medicine, the world of of of, of computer technology. All of these um, 
all of these uh, um, technologies are there because we are because we are um, seeing the arrival of a time where the world will be found in in a better place, in a place where there's peace, where there's prosperity, where there's health, etc., etc. And dare I even go further and say this entire uh, world of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies is part of this movement towards Mashiach because here we're seeing the decentralization of banks, decentralization of governments, controlling people, taxing people. And um, now we're looking at a system where we want to go peer to peer and people just pay each individual um, on a much, much, much simpler basis. So, even though we're, we're kind of hearing the, 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 the drumbeats, um, that is saying war is looming and a final, uh, a final conflagration is about to happen. At the same time, the world is very much poised on a positive, um, sense to g- greet Mashiach. And to end really, where do we fall into this part? Well, we were told by, um, our sages that we are the reincarnation of the people that have come out of Egypt and just like that generation saw um, poverty and saw slavery and saw um, depravity and, and lived such a terrible life and through miracles saw the redemption um, and the, arrive, the, the coming into to receive the Torah, the coming into the land of Israel. Since we are the reincarnations of those people, we too, our generation, is going to see that happening to us now. What should we do? We need to go out and do another act of goodness and kindness. We need to take on another mitzvah of the Torah. And if we are keeping mitzvot, then we should look at the mitzvahs we're doing and uh, do them in a better fashion. Maybe go beyond the letter of the law. Go out and um, teach somebody else and spread the good word. Because, as I said, the Time is ticking, and we're almost, almost ready to see this new world order. So on that note, I wish every single person out there a wonderful week, a positive week. Go out there, spread the good word, um, look at your lives, take whatever it is that you're doing and up the ante, because very, very soon we are going to greet a unbelievable, an unbelievable world, a world of health, of prosperity, of peace, no more death, no more illness, and we will all live really in the fairytale state of happily ever after, wishing you a fantastic day.